A reading from Romans, chapter 13, verses 8 through 12. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we, be, we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is so good to see you all this morning. I wish I could see all of your smiles. I'll have to imagine those, but I'm so glad I don't have to imagine seeing all of you. It is great to see you on this wonderful Easter morning, on this beautiful but windy day. I'm so glad you joined us for worship this morning. You know, when I was a child, I really, really, really wanted my very own alarm clock. Now, I wanted one so badly that I asked for one as a gift. Now, I'm not sure why anyone would actually do that, especially when there are much less alarming ways to be woken up in the morning as a young child by your parent, hopefully. But when I was a young child, I really, really, really wanted my very own alarm clock. I'm not, I'm not sure why. I, I, maybe I had someone in my life who I respected who had an alarm clock and I thought yeah I need one of those or maybe there was a TV show a movie or something like that I'd been watching and I, I saw an alarm clock on that movie on that show and I thought yeah I have got to get me one of those and 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 by one of those I don't mean a really cool superhero Lego alarm clock like my son Luke has by his bed, which, by the way, almost never goes off. No, my first alarm clock was nothing like that. No, no Lego character, no superhero, no, no action figure, no favorite cartoon, not even a music-playing radio alarm clock that would wake you slowly to the sounds of your favorite FM station. No, my first alarm clock was nothing like that. It was this little square kind of had a yellowish face, you know, long hand, short hand clock, alarm clock with a fake wooden facade on the outside that I think peeled off a little bit in a big plastic snooze button on top. And you needed it to be big so that when you were reaching over to whack it in the morning because of that terrible ah, ah, ah noise, you wouldn't miss it. It was one of those. 
No slow rising like you can program on your Apple phone right now. No soft tunes. No, this sucker would wake you up every single morning with a jolt, sending tremors throughout your body and eventually creating within you your own kind of eternal internal alarm clock where I began to wake up at least a few minutes before it would go off every morning to avoid that incredibly rude awakening that I had for some reason asked for as a gift. And I think, I think that the Apostle Paul is hoping we will also develop some of these kinds of instincts in response to the Easter alarm that has been reverberating throughout all of creation since that first Easter morning. In fact, my first alarm clock could stand in as a pretty good symbol of the Apostle Paul who always seemed to stand ever ready to sound the Easter alarm and hope that we're hearing it every day of our Easter-soaked and Easter-saturated lives. We heard it on Ash Wednesday if you joined us for that service at the beginning of this Lenten season where Paul, through his words to the Ephesians, said, Wake up, O sleeper! Rise from the dead! For the light of Christ is shining upon you. And then we heard it sounded a few moments ago in his words to the Romans where he said, Wake up from your slumber, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Paul is trying here to draw our attention to something alarmingly pertinent. Something that every follower of Jesus was meant to wake up to on that first Easter morning. Namely, the power, presence, and purposes of God in our lives and for our lives. Something that we can so easily, over time, begin to lose sight of and even begin to sleep on. And we know that when we begin to sleep on things like this, it's, it's difficult to wake up again. In fact, it is often difficult to wake up. We know that often waking up is not an easy thing to do. I actually, I asked my son Luke about this the other day, and maybe some of you can resonate with this kind of scenario. I asked my son Luke why it is that it is so difficult to wake him up on school mornings, and yet he wakes up so easily on Saturday mornings and on summer mornings. I said, Luke, why is it that you wake up so easily on Saturday mornings and summer mornings, but I have to work so hard? To, I mean, he's turning and he's squirming and he's hiding under the covers. I have to work so hard to get you up, actually, on school mornings. And he said, oh, that's easy, Daddy. And I quote, he said, I like to sleep in all week, you know, on school mornings so that I can save up my energy, and I have enough energy saved up on Saturday morning so that I'll get up early and I can watch all my cartoons. And of course, you know that's so often true for so many of us. Our ability to wake up is so often affected by what it is we're waking up to. No one we know is especially eager to wake up 
to hard things, especially when those hard things are difficult and damaging things that have one way or another weaved themselves into the very fabric of our lives and even the very fabric of ourselves. There are these things we know in each of our lives, and we can identify them, that keep us from living full, free, and fruitful lives in Christ, the lives that Christ said he came to give us. There are these attachments, these addictions, these attributes, these, these isms that, that, that need to die. They really do need to die, as we've talked about throughout this Lenten season, so that better things might live. But you know, when it comes right down to it, most of us are not especially eager to wake up to those things. Because it's uncomfortable. Because it's painful. Because, you know, even sometimes acknowledging the parts of ourselves that so desperately need to die, our personal and our corporate sins, can seem like a death itself. And and so, of course, in self-preservation, we'd much rather keep snoozing on these things. And we know this. But we also know, I I think we know this, and we've been talking throughout throughout this season, that a huge part of the ongoing work of waking up to God in our lives involves the ongoing work of waking up to ourselves and the accumulation of things in our lives that keep us sleeping on God. And this can be painful. It can be so difficult, but, but we, we know that, that almost no good growth comes about in our lives easily. And we also know, as Easter reminds us, that in Christ there is, on the other side of every little and large death, the hope of resurrection. Even and especially when it seems like there is no hope left at all. An Easter truth that so many of us have often clung to over this past year. You know, on that that first Easter morning, it probably seemed to the disciples like there was no hope left at all. Jesus had said he'd come to give them abundant life, and they believed that, but only a few days before that had ended in death, and they probably assumed that their lives would be over soon too. Old hopes had died with him. Old dreams had died with him. Old selves had died with him, but now, but now, unbeknownst to them, something new was rising. As they crawled out of bed on that first Easter morning, completely unaware that they had actually awoken to something that no one had ever actually even wondered about. In the midst of their sadness, in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their grief, they awoke that morning to a world full of more hope and more promise and more possibility than they'd ever thought possible. Because quite frankly, on that first Easter morning, while they were still sleeping, Jesus had awoken the world up in a new and wonderful way that was also so subtle and so unseen at that point that no one including them, seemed to be awake to it. Even when they were faced with it. Even when they came face to face with Him. It often took Him saying their names, showing them His wounds, 
waking them up, opening their eyes and waking them up so that they could see and hear the alarm that God was now sounding throughout all of creation, the alarm of resurrection. That God was on the move in new ways, unleashing new hope and new purpose and new possibility and a renewed access to the very real presence of God that even now continues to hum all around us, ever and always waiting for us to wake up to it. Felina Huritz illustrates this well when she tells the story of Adrian a former Saturday Night Live employee who attended one of her spiritual retreats and taught her about room tone. Room tone, you may know, is also known as presence. It's the sound, or what some people call the drone note in a room when no dialogue is being spoken at all. Um, You've probably noticed this hum before, that when there is silence in a room, if we listen closely, we can still detect the drone note, or the room tone, or an auditory presence of some kind. It's proven, and it's recordable. Adrian explained it in this way. Every recording studio in the world, and in fact every room in the world, has its own room tone or presence. It's a sound, the sound in a room, when all the instruments and amplifiers are turned off. There's a very low throb that is always in the background. You can't actually hear it when other noises are going on. You have to turn everything else down or off, and then you can begin to sense it. You can begin to sense the drone note in the room. And this is actually why we spent this Lenten season learning and practicing various forms of contemplative prayer. Because we believe, in a very real way, that God is the drone note that underscores everything. And to hear it, to sense it, to pick up on the drone note of God's presence that is present in every place, in every room, throughout every inch of our lives, we have to intentionally begin to turn down and turn off a lot of things, but even more, we also have to turn up the sensibilities of our soul so that we can tune in to that drone note, which is the living presence of God. It reminds me of that story in 2 Kings when Elijah was so whipped and weary from all of the hard and difficult days that he'd been experiencing. I wonder how many of you this morning are feeling whipped and weary from all of the hard and difficult days you've been experiencing. In 2 Kings, Elijah was feeling whipped and weary from all of the hard and difficult days that he'd been experiencing, and he was ready, actually, in many ways to give up or to give in. But then, in the midst of his grief, he found himself lying at the Mount of God, in a place where he was sure he'd be able to tune into God's presence, to feel God's comfort, and to hear God's voice. A lot of us could use that right now and if you if you've heard the story you may remember what happened there was an earthquake but God was not in the earthquake there was a storm but God was not in the storm 
there was a fire, but God was not in the fire. There were all these things happening, and, the, and, and they actually represented ways that Elijah had connected with God before, had heard from God before, but God was not in any of those things. But then you may remember there was a still, small voice. It can actually be more accurately translated the sound of sheer silence. And in the silence, Elijah heard the voice of God in the silence. In the sheer silence, Elijah was finally able to tune into or wake up to the drone note of God's presence. And in response to it, re-engage God's promise and possibility and purpose in his life and for his life. And you know, on this morning, on this Easter morning, when so many of us have found ourselves so whipped and weary from all we've endured over the course of this past year, I'd love it so much if Easter and all of the promise and possibility and power that it holds might prompt us to center in and settle in, to breathe deeply, to slow down enough to notice the drone note of God's living presence so that we might actually wake up to it and live in this moment and beyond it with a greater sense of God's purpose in our lives and for our lives as well. We so desperately need to wake up. To wake up. I'm reminded of a story told by the Reverend Lloyd Oglev, retired chaplain of the United States Senate, who told the story of a young father who was often working late at night and, and, and was not there a lot with his children. But he got home late one night, and he got home late one night in time to, to get near the door of his young son at just the time when his little boy was saying his bedtime prayers. It was one of those moments you don't want to interrupt, you just want to bear witness to it. And so he leaned up against the door just to watch and listen to what was happening. And his son in that moment was beginning to pray what some of you will find to be a familiar prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should wake before I die. Now, now wait a minute. That's not how it goes, is it? But that's how his son prayed it that day. Not if I should die before I wake, but if I should wake before I die. The little boy, not recognizing his mistake, just kept on praying. And as the child got up, the, the father went into his room and, and tucked him into bed. But then later that night, as he was getting into his own bed, he just couldn't sleep because he, he couldn't stop thinking about the way things were. He couldn't stop thinking about the way things are in this world. And as he kept thinking about the way things are in this world, he kept hearing his son's prayer repeat in his mind over and over and over again. If I should wake before I die. If I should wake before I die. What would it be like for us to wake before we die? His son's prayer served as a bit of a wake-up call for him that night, and I hope that it will serve as a bit of a wake-up call for us this day as well. 
Because waking before we die is actually a huge part of the point of Easter. Because Easter isn't just about what happens to us when these bodies can't hold life anymore. Easter is about the life we live in these bodies now, which is why Paul prefaced his little wake-up call in Romans with what he and Jesus called the summation of the law. We've talked about it quite a bit over the course of this past year, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let no debt remain outstanding among you, Paul wrote, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Because in Christ, the love of God and the love of self and the love of neighbor are always intricately interconnected, which means they are also always intertwined with God's presence and God's purpose and God's power in our lives and for our lives. Always intertwined with that resurrection life that Jesus died and rose again to unleash into our hearts and to unleash into this world. Always intertwined with that resurrection life that is actually humming all around us and among us and within us even now. Friends, on this Easter morning, may we wake up to it. On this Easter morning, may we all wake up to all of it. For the light of Christ is ever shining upon us. And our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Amen.